Stone and Tile Show is proud to be sponsored by the National Tile Contractors Association. The NTCA is a leading trade association in the tile and stone industry dedicated to professional installation of ceramic tile and natural stone. With more than 1,500 members representing thousands of installers, NTCA works hard to be a strong voice for proper installation and qualified labor. The association invests in a professional staff to provide technical support and assistance and offers free educational seminars and regional training opportunities around the country. To learn more about what the NTCA can offer for you or your business, go to the website www.tile-assn.com. That's www.tile-assn.com. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston, and uh, today I decided to kind of kind of change things up a little bit. You know, I know the last couple of shows I've been talking, you know, about, you know, installation and, and restoration, et cetera, and I've kind of been lacking and, and forgetting the fabricators out there. And one of the topics that actually came up the other day is I had a guy call me that wants to get into the fabrication business. Uh, he wants to start a shop and he was asking me, sir, from advice, some tips, what he needs to look for equipment wise, building size, you know, whatever. And I remember years ago when I had my first shop, I made a lot of mistakes in choosing the building and choosing some of the equipment. And I thought I would pass that on to you guys out there that are thinking about getting into the stone restoration, or I'm sorry, stone fabrication business, as well as if you're already in the stone fabrication business and you're looking to move. You know, years ago, I had a company called the National Training Center for Stone and Masonry Trades. And many of you probably came through that school uh, to learn how to fabricate. We had a, a nice little fabrication shop with, you know, we had park equipment. Uh, we had the wizard. We had a, a uh, Sierra saw. Uh, we had, oh God, probably had about a dozen different types of routers, all kinds of hand machines. And at one point we even brought in a uh, CNC machine and we did some advanced classes there as well. Um, now, I'm not doing those seminars anymore, but what I am doing currently, as a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to do one here in a couple of weeks is going in and evaluating shops. So even if you've been in the business for a long period of time, sometimes some fresh eyes can mean the world. You know, you're, you're doing the same thing every day, every day, and you just can't get past that hurdle uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, your production. Uh, you might want to consider having someone like me come in and evaluate the shop and, and give you some some tips from a fresh perspective. But but today, I want to I want to concentrate more on if you're starting, you know, what you need to consider when starting a stone fabrication shop. Now, you guys that are in it, you know, I, I, I'm not going to create competition for you. That's not the whole purpose. But you know, let's face it. Uh, there's a lot of stone countertop work to be done out there. I know fabricators in my area are booked up solid for the next uh, three or four months. They can't get to things. So there is, there is plenty of room. There is plenty of people out there that want countertops. And some of that may be due to the COVID thing where, you know, people are just basically sitting around their homes and looking at their kitchens, looking at their bathrooms and saying, you know, hey, maybe we ought, it's time to get that thing done. So, you know, if you have a different experience than that, uh, I welcome you to call in. Or even if you have some tips that I'm not going to cover here to uh, help others that are looking to get into the uh, stone fabrication business, you know, feel free to call in. It's 23-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. So 
you know, one of the things I, I want to start with, and that is the actual building requirements. And this is a mistake that I've seen over the years done again and again and again. And there's several things about a building. It's not just the building itself, the square footage, which is important. I'll talk about that in a minute, but there's a lot of other things that you may not consider. Now, you know, regardless of how you're starting, well, let's say you're, you're, you're going to start small. You're going to start on a budget. You're going to get a basic saw. You know, maybe a small rail saw, or maybe not even that. Maybe you're going to use a track saw or some, something like that. Um, you know, some electric polishers, you're not going to go air right away. Uh, that's, that's a start. I mean, I wouldn't recommend that as a start, but that's a start. But I will guarantee you in a very short period of time, you're going to outgrow that. You're going to outgrow that small saw. You're going to outgrow the electric tools, and you're going to be converted over to air, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so let's get into that, and let's talk a little bit of, uh, about that. The size of the building is extremely important. Um, as I said, if you're starting small and you've got, you know, a small rail saw, uh, you've got some small electrical tools or whatever, you don't need a lot of room, but you're going to grow very quickly and you have to move slabs around. So what are the things you want to look for in a building, whether you're moving to a new shop or whether you're just starting out? I would recommend a minimum of a 5,000 square foot shop, and that's going to give you plenty of room uh, to add some of the equipment, some of the equipment that you may need in a very short period of time. But within that building, you need to look at several things. The first thing you want to look at is the overall building. You want to look at the slope of the building. Is it going to be on a level ground? Uh, remember, you're going to be moving slabs in and out, especially if you're not storing the slabs inside the building, you're storing them outside in the yard, for example. You're going to be moving slabs with your forklift in and out. Uh, so you want to make sure you have a nice level ground. And I've seen some shops that it's notorious. I mean, it's it's a they spend. You know, I'll give you a great example. I remember doing a uh, an evaluation on the shop not too long ago, and I, I sat down and spent the entire day looking at the time that was spent moving slabs, cutting materials, polishing, uh, laminating, or whatever. And in this particular shop, more than half of the day was spent moving slabs around. For several reasons. In, in that particular instance, the flow of the shop was wrong and uh, the, the, where the slabs were stored, stored were wrong. They were bringing them from one end of the building to a whole bunch of different things. Uh, but one of the things was the actual building itself was on a hill and that forklift they had it took a really, really long time to, to crawl up this slight incline. So you want to be able to look at not only how level or how flat the building is and the parking lot on the outside is also the size of the parking lot. And that's especially true if you're not if you're not inventorying a lot of slabs. You want to make sure you have a big enough parking lot for these trucks to come in, these big flatbed trucks that carry these slabs to be able to come in, unload, and then turn around and leave. So you don't want a really, really tight area. So that's something you want to definitely look at. Another thing you want to look at and that is the height of your overhead doors. And this is a problem I had in my training facility years ago is I only had 10 foot high doors. So we would literally have to take the forklift outside, pick up a slab, bring it to just before the door, put it on a cart, wheel it inside, then bring the forklift in and then pick it up off the cart. I mean, it, it was it was a long, tedious, tedious process. Uh, for the training center, it was all right. But if I was a production shop, in, in that particular location, that would have been a real issue. We would have been spending a lot of time moving slabs. So I would recommend a minimum of a 12-foot door, possibly even a 16-foot uh, high, high door with your shop. 
And we'll talk about flow and layout here in a minute, but right now I'm just talking about, uh, you know, the, the building selection itself. Uh, you want to make sure you have concrete or asphalt outside. You don't want to be operating a forklift over gravel or dirt uh, if you don't, if you don't ha have to. Okay, what's next? You've got your building. Uh, you want to check the, the, how the water flows inside the building. You know, are you going to have puddles? You know, take a hose and wet the floor down. See which way the water goes. Uh, you know, you're probably going to end up putting drains on the floor. So you want to make sure uh, that water can be controlled and you can put that water where you want it to go. Remember, in stone fabrication, you're going to use a lot, a lot of water. Uh, it's not like solid surface fabrication where it's all done dry. And in our business, as you guys know, a lot of that is done, is done, done wet. Okay, so inside... Uh, we have the interior. Now we want to look at utilities. And this is a mistake, again, I've seen used over and over and over and over again. Let's first of all look at the water volume. You want to make sure that the, the water coming into the shop is adequate, that you have the proper flow. You can remember a, a, an average saw is going to, going to use about five gallons of water a minute. So, you know, that's a lot of, lot of water. And if you move up to a more automated equipment, a line polisher, a CNC, you're going to be using even more water, so you want to make sure you have plenty of uh, plenty of plenty of plenty of water in there. Um, power is extremely important, uh, and I've seen this mistake made, and actually I've made the same mistake where you go in and you don't have three-phase power. You know why do you need three-phase power? Because if you're going to move up to your to your bridge saw, you're going to move up to a CNC machine, you're going to move up to a line polisher, some of these you know all, all these big equipment. They're all three-phase power. And it's not as simple as calling an electrician and say, you know, hook me up a three-phase power. If you don't have it coming to your building at all, it can get really, really expensive. I remember one student I had in my class paid something like $50,000 to have three-phase power ran into it to his building. So, you know, when you're looking at buildings, it's the first thing you want to check. You want to make sure you have, you know, three-phase power in there. If you don't, walk away. Look for, look for something else. You know, you'd want a, a minimum electrical service of about 200 amps. And this is something, hey, if you have to hire an electrician and you don't know to bring with, don't know about this stuff, then, you know, bring him with you or her with you and, uh, you know, make sure that power is, is, is enough because that can be a, that can, I cannot tell you how many times guys start out, they're, they're starting out on a budget, starting out on a cheap. And they got all 110 10 stuff. And, you know, I can tell you even the, uh, even the routers, some of the routers, uh, especially some of the 110 routers that I have just were not powerful enough. They would bog down. Uh, so you need at least 220 uh, single phase in there. But uh, three-phase power is definitely you want three-phase power in there. So, you know, you want to, want to be able to look for that. Now, I had mentioned air compressors. And uh, while well, I mentioned air power tools, I didn't mention air compressors yet, but this is another mistake that's, that's always made. And that is, well, you know what? We'll just go to Sam's or we'll go to, uh, you know, the automotive and we'll buy one of those big ass automotive air compressors that they use in garages. Uh-uh, fellas, it ain't going to work. Uh, it's just not going to work. Some of these power tools, you know, for example, I used to use the alpha tools and the alpha tools are going to consume something like, you know, 18 CFMs, cubic foot per minute per tool. So I recommend a minimum of 100 CFM air compressor. And guess what? Most of those air compressors are also three-phase power. So basically what you want to do is you want to take all your air tools that you're going to use at one time. Let's say you have three tables and you have three guys working 
and you're using an air an air polisher, that's three times 18, whatever that adds up to. And then you want to add an extra 20%. And that's what you want in, a, in an air compressor. You want to have enough CFM uh, to run to run your power to run your air power tools. And believe me, once you've gone gone with air, you won't want to go back to electric, especially when it comes uh, comes to polishes. You're just going to wear yourself out and wear your workers out as well. Um, as far as air compressors go, you might want to look into a, um, a, a what they call a screw compressor. A screw compressor is continuous. The continuously feeds air, so you, you kind of you don't need that storage you would with a, a you know big ass tank that you would with a normal air compressor. And this is problem number two that you're going to run into. You're going to burn up air tools, especially if you're in a humid climate like I am in Florida, or even when I had my shop in North Carolina. Uh, without you need an air dryer. You need to make sure you have an air dryer on those uh, on that air compressor to dry the air because moisture will ruin those air tools. Sure, and all get out. So make sure uh, you look at that as well. All right, I'm going to take a quick break here. And when I come back, if you want to call in, the number is three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. That's three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. Especially you guys that are are in the fab shop. If you have, uh, have some tips for new startups, please call in and, uh, and give us, give us your advice. So we'll be back right after this. Thank you, Tough Skin, one of our gold sponsors. Marble etches and stains, Tough Skin guarantees it will not. Tough Skin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with a proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Tough Skin Surface Protection has done it. Available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at toughskinprotection.com. That's T-U-F-F SkinProtection.com to learn more. Alrighty, folks. So we're talking about setting up a, a stone shop here, and I'm going to get into uh, some of the equipment here in a minute or what to look for in some of the equipment and how to tell whether uh, you're getting the equipment that, that you need. But before I do, I want to continue on with a building location. Um, one of the things with building location is really not too critically important as far as uh, you know, where you're located. In other words, you don't need to be on a major highway. It would help, yeah. Uh, but a lot of your customers are not going to come from drive-bys. I mean, it's not like a retail store where people are, are driving by. There's other means of doing that. And it's, uh, I'm not going to talk about this on, on this show as far as marketing your services. I'm also not going to talk about the business end of it. And we're not going to talk about, you know, your office setup, what phones you need, what deposits you need to make, whether you need to incorporate your accounting. That, that's not the purpose. I'm trying to give you uh, some tips of some of the things that people make in choosing a building and setting up a shop, choosing the right equipment, uh, you know, and avoiding some of these mistakes that I have made, uh, that I have made and others have made and I've seen other others made. Uh, moving on, one of the things is uh, dumpsters. You know, what are you going to do with your waste? And there's some pretty innovative ways uh, to deal with waste. As a matter of fact, years ago, I did an article for Stoneworld magazine talking about how uh, certain fab shops will do their do their waste. I had one company, I believe they were in Texas, would once every six months have a remnant sale, and they would you know basically bring their saw saw guy in. Uh, they might bring one of the fabricators in, 
and uh, they would they would they would sell off their remnants and if you know you would buy a, a remnant of a stone and let's say you wanted a profile put on it well you'd pay x amount of money and they would put a profile on it right there on the spot or they would cut it to the size that you want and you know i had one shop that was bringing in 30 to 40 grand extra and just the remnants that they would normally just throw away so there are ways uh, uh i know one individual that was taking his sink cutouts and he was turning them into hot plates and selling them on eBay uh, or Amazon or whatever it was eBay at the time it was way before Amazon. But uh, uh, there are all kinds of innovative ways to use wastes. And if you guys out there listening have have some other ways, you know, feel free to call in. Again, the number is three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. So you know, you have all the other things to worry about. You know, whether you have internet connection there, you know, and all that stuff. But like I said, I'm not I'm not too worried about that. As, as far as these tips go, but the next thing I want to talk about is uh, your equipment. And this is a mistake that I've seen made over and over and over again, especially with guys that have started a shop. They're in it for a year or so, and they go to one of the trade shows and they see, you know, a, a water jet or they see a CNC machine and they've got to have it. And, you know, one of the pet peeves I have, and I've got an article on this. If you guys want a copy of this article, I'd be more than happy uh, to email you a copy, just, you know, send me an email to F Houston. That's F H U E S T O N at gmail.com. And I'll send you it. And that is how to do a cost analysis. In other words, you know, sure you can have a CNC machine, but will that CNC machine pay for itself? Do you have enough money? And this, this applies to any of the automated equipment, whether it's a line polisher, a CNC machine, a water jet or, or, or whatever, is it going to pay for itself? You know, if you don't have the work coming in, uh, it's, you're not going to pay for that, that, that piece of machinery. So you, you basically need to do what I call a payback analysis. You need to look at, do I have the work or will I have enough work to be able to afford that lease payment or that payment or, you know, or outright on that particular machine? And I have seen, I can't tell you how many shops I've seen go under because they've overextended themselves. They don't have the work to be able to support that machinery. And, and I know the guys out there selling this big equipment are probably going to be pissed off at me, but I'm sorry, but that's just the facts. You can work up to that. You know, you get that type of type of volume in, in your shop and you've got that type of work. Then you want to move up to those, uh, those bigger machines, you know, whether it's a water jet, whether it's a CNC machine, whether, you know, it's a line polisher or, or, or what have you. And again, going back to what I said in the very beginning, you know, you're going to need plenty of power. You're going to be plenty of room, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, extremely careful. Now, another question I get, especially with startup shops, is, you know, what about slab inventory? Do I have to invest and have a ton of money to be able to carry a slab inventory? And the answer to that is no. And this could be a key to the location to your shop. Uh, you want to make sure your shop is located within delivery distance or e even closer to a slab supplier. Uh, this is very important, you know, uh, here and where I'm at in Melbourne is a, there's a large slab supplier and he basically supplies all the slabs to all the local fab shops in the area. The local fab shops have, have a small inventory, but you know, if you're a customer and you're looking for a countertop, uh, he's going to send you to that slab yard and you have an arrangement with that slab, slab yard. They're not going to give you, you know, prices. They're not going to, you know, basically they ask you, who's your fabricator. You're going to say, well, that fabricator is XYZ fabrication and uh you know they may have I, I know that the slab yard here has their slabs with a numbering system and, and each system is different but this is a pretty cool system 
and the system is numbered like one through seven or one through eight, with one being the more economical type granites right on up to the exotic uh, exotic stones being like a seven, a seven or an eight. So that, that's one way. There's, there's many, many ways. So when you're going in and you're looking at the slabs, you know, you're, you, you know where your budget is going to be. You know, can I afford an exotic material? Is that what I'm looking for? Or do I want it more, you know, on the budgets, on the budget size? So, um, you know, going back to the building, just this reminded me something I forgot to mention. And that is, you know, do you really need a showroom? And yeah, you know, it would be nice to have a small showroom. It doesn't need to be elaborate. It doesn't need to be big. You can, you know, build up to that eventually, but you want to be able to show your customers, you know, what you do, what work you do. You want to be able to show them examples of, of several profiles that you offer. And you might not offer all the profiles that are available out there. Some of the profiles that are out there can't be done, uh, you know, by hand. Uh, some can argue that with me, but, uh, you know, economically, uh, you may need some fancier equipment, but uh, yeah, that's something, you know, you definitely, uh, definitely need to look at. Uh, another thing I didn't mention that if you're a startup and you haven't been a fabricator, you know, you may have been a restoration guy, a tile setter or some other trade for that matter, get some training. Uh, there is training out there. I will warn you, though, and that is you have to be careful with some of the training that is out there. Uh, some of the training out there is going to be very equipment specific. So, you know, you go to XYZ, you know, company that sells an XYZ router, obviously they're going to tell you all the great benefits of that particular router, and they're not going to mention much about their competition. So, and, you know, right now, well, I should say when I got started, there wasn't much available, but now, oh God, there's just so much to choose from out there. So let's transition into that. How do we know what our needs are and how do we know what's the proper piece of equipment? And here's what I would recommend you do. The internet today is wonderful. There are all kinds of forums. There's some Facebook groups. There's forums out there uh, for stone fabricators. There's several organizations out there, the Natural Stone Institute, uh, Fabricators Alliance, a, a bunch of great people out there that are more than happy uh, to share their opinion on a particular type of equipment, whether it's just simply a, a an air polisher or whether it's something as large as a, a CNC or a water jet, you know and ask these suppliers the right questions. You want to ask questions like, you know, for example, one of the issues we used to have years ago with some of the foreign equipment is service. You know, we, we had issues with service because, you know, you'd buy this piece of equipment. It was a great piece of equipment. You know, I'm not saying it was crappy equipment, but when something broke down or you needed a part, sometimes it took, you know, six to eight weeks to get that part going. Well, if you're a production shop, and, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to get countertops out on a regular basis and uh, your equipment is down. You're screwed. You know, it's uh, so, you know, want to ask, how quickly can I get a part if I need to? How quickly can I get service out here? So, I mean, you know, I, I, I tend to favor uh, for here in the United States, some of the, you know, local, you know, domestic companies because the parts are right there. Uh, they can be overnighted for, to you the next day if you need to. Uh, they have service people all over the place. So that's one of the things you want you want to look at. And then, you know, look at, you know, look at payback, uh, especially when it gets into uh, bigger uh, equipment. You know, I've, I've had guys start with electric shops, as I mentioned in the very beginning, and uh, you're going to burn those tools. You'll go through those tools. If you're using an electric hand polisher on a regular basis, eight hours a day, day in and day out, you'll be lucky if you get six months out of that that tool. So, 
it may be worth looking at air compressors. And you can buy air compressors used. I've seen some really great deals on used air compressors. So, you know, you might want to look at, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the name of that. There, there's a magazine that uh, sells industrial equipment. It's kind of like the Auto Trader, uh, but it's designed for, for equipment. And, boy, I've seen all kinds of equipment in there, especially forklifts. And, you know, I happen to know a guy that flipped a forklift, and some of you know what I'm talking about, and that was me did that a long time ago because I exceeded the, the requirements of that forklift. And, and remember when you're, when you're picking up these slabs, the higher you go, uh, the more dangerous it's going to be. And, uh, you know, you have a forklift that can pick up 2000 pounds. You know, you didn't need to know full, is that fully extended, you know, full all the way up or is it just on the ground? So several, you know, important things like that. Or, I mean, there's, there's a lot to it. I mean, there, there, there's a lot to it. You know, the type, how are you going to move those slabs? You know, I'm involved right now uh, with two or three cases where uh, workers have been killed in a shop and two or three cases where customers have actually been hurt, killed, thank God, but uh, but actually hurt. And uh, it's all because they, they're not moving the slabs properly. They're not following proper safety protocols. I was in a, a yard the other day and it was all outside. They had thousands of slabs. Not one of them was strapped down and they're letting just, you know, the public go in there and look at materials and it, it doesn't take much. Uh, you guys are in the business know what I'm talking about. It doesn't take much to flip one of those slabs over. You know, I, I've seen wind blow slabs over, even though they're several, you know, hundred pounds, some of them up to a thousand pounds. You know, you got to remember there's a large surface area there and a good gust of wind. It doesn't take much to blow one of those, the, those over. So, you know, you want to be extremely careful there. All right, I've got some time for some telephone calls. If you've got some advice or some questions, uh, the phone number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Uh, you know, I also want to mention that I do have a class coming up, not a fabrication class, uh, but a, a stone and tile inspection class uh, that's coming up in Florida. I just finished one up in, uh, in January in Las Vegas, and uh, now... I'm going to be offering one in Florida just outside of Orlando in July. It starts July 5th, and it runs for four days. So if you guys want to check that out, uh, you can just go to my website, which is stoneforensics.com, stoneforensics.com, and click on the on the training tab, and uh, you can uh, uh, learn all about that class, or just give me a call or send me an email. All right, uh, let me jump back a little bit and talk about the flow. Uh, how your shop is flowing. And this is a mistake that I see made all the time, not only with new guys, but also with guys that have been in a business for a while. And that is how the shop flows. Uh, I'll give you another example. I was in California a number of years ago, and I had a shop that was, it was a pretty decent shop. And they had three saws going, several CNC machines. But on the West Coast, uh, compared to the East Coast, they do a lot of laminations, or they did a lot of laminations out there with two centimeter material. Uh, so there's a lot of lamination being done. Well, this shop was set up with all the slabs outside. They would bring the slabs in. They would cut them on their saw. And then they would travel all the way across the other side of the building to do the laminations, bring them back to the saw. And this happened to be the, the shop I was talking about before, where you know I was watching how much time they spent just moving materials. And it was more than half the day, four to five hours just moving materials around. And this is a company that was getting ready to, to invest in more equipment because they thought they needed more equipment. And they didn't need more equipment. What they really needed was to rearrange a shop and make the shop flow a little bit better. 
And you know, remember, guys, I mean, this is really no different than an assembly line. You're taking a slab, you're bringing it in, you're cutting it, you know, you're going through all the processes it, and then you're you're setting it up and, and delivering it. So the ideal shop, in my opinion, you guys can argue with me if you want, everybody has an opinion, is what I call a shotgun shop. In other words, your slabs come in one end, they go through a, an assembly line type of process all the way to the end, and they get delivered. That's the ideal shop. I've seen those shops, and they're very efficient. Uh, they they can they can turn out a lot of material with little little equipment. If you're fumbling over yourself, stepping all over yourself, cords all over the place. I mean, there's all kinds of little things uh, that can be done. I've seen shops with, you know, they have they have air they have air hoses, but the air hoses are lying all over the place. You know, I would hang them from the ceiling, you know, and pull them down. Uh, you know, little just little tiny things like that. You want to want to be able to think about. You know, another good layout is what I call a U-shaped shop. Suppose you don't have a nice long, long shop. You want to be able to have a, a shop that, you know, you can go in one door and then, again, assembly line, it might go into a shape of a U and then back out another door. So you're not, you know, stumbling on yourself. You have guys bringing in slabs and taking out slabs in the same door and it becomes it becomes a real issue. I mean, that's okay for startup. But remember, even though you're starting up, you want to be able to start to, to be thinking about anyway, what's going to happen when I move from a couple of countertops a week to 30 to 40 to 50 countertops uh, tops a week. That's going to be a whole nother ball game. So you want to be able to think that because I guarantee you, if you go into this business and you do it right, you're going to grow. I mean, I, I've you know seen few fabricators in this economy anyway fail. Uh, a lot of them have failed, but, you know, back in the recession, you know, I, I remember being in Vegas and seeing all those fab shops, not all of them, but a good, a, good, a lot of those fab shops fail because they invested in, you know, six CNC machines when they were building city center and some of the hotels there. And of course, when that was all done, I had all these payments and they had no work coming in. So, you know, you, you want to be able to, to think of all that, all that stuff as well. So anyway, folks, uh, I hope that little bit helped you. Uh, if you're looking to design a shop, if you're looking to, uh, uh, you know, start in the fabrication business, again, I think one of the most important things is to get a good trainer, get a good seminar uh, that discusses some of these things that's going to going to, to help you. I'm available for that on a one-on-one -on -one basis if that's, uh, if that's what you want as well. Um, Anyway, uh, I am getting ready to uh, go on a, several inspections here, but I'll be back next week. Uh, don't know what the topic's going to be yet, but if you happen to have a, a good suggestion or know someone uh, that would like to be interviewed concerning anything to do with stone or tile, have them send me an email. And my email is fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at a gmail.com. So folks, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, and fabricating those tops. Later, my friends. Are you looking for quality greenstone working products? ESP sells many lines of fine quality, environmentally safe products. Stone Pro, MB Stone Care, Bond Stone and Touchstone Adhesives, more Stone Care products, Easy Care products, and Better Bio, which is over 80% bio-based and approved by the USDA. For more info, visit ESPSales.net. That's ESPSales.net. 
Are you tired of lugging dozens of stain removal chemicals around to remove stains from stone, tile, or concrete? Did you know you only need three chemicals to remove almost any stain? From organic stains to inorganic stains, Dr. Fred's Ultimate Stain Removal Kit is all you need. The kit contains three reagents and includes a detailed ebook on how to remove almost any stain. So if you're trying to remove difficult ink or rust or simply coffee and other food stains, this kit is all you need. To order, contact Dr. Fred at 321-514-6845. One kit is $69.95 plus shipping. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.